Today on Rainbow Country, autistic, gay, immigrant, changemaker. Andreas Suvaliotis talks about his new memoir, Misfit, as well as Canada's number one wellness app that he created, Carrot Rewards, and more. Plus, from Love is Love is Love, Adam Zevo fills us in on Toronto's big gay bus. Stay tuned for Gay Talk Radio Toronto Style right here on Rainbow Country. Hi, this is Emily Saliers from Indigo Girls, and you're listening to Rainbow Country on CIUT 89.5 FM. And welcome to Rainbow Country, as I like to call it, a little gay radio show working to give voice to the LGBT community. As always, I am your tour guide through Rainbow Country. I'm Mark Tara. So, Canadian jazz singer Audie Braun sings Doris Day. Doris Day. In a one-night-only event, K. Sarah Sarah, June 25th. 8.30 p.m., $20 cover at the Jazz Bistro. Audie's going to bring her signature vocals to such Doris Day classics as Secret Love, Pillow Talk, It's Magic. K. Sarah Sarah, one night only, is June 25th, 8.30 p.m., $20 cover, Jazz Bistro, 251 Victoria Street. For more information jazzbistro.ca. So my friends, June marks the start of season four of Rainbow Country. I couldn't be more excited. So to get the full experience, the full, the full enchilada of Rainbow Country, I would encourage you to go to marktara.com. There you'll find the full two hour episodes. marktara.com. Today, this is episode 155. So from Love is Love is Love, Adam Zevo is going to fill us in on Toronto's Big Gay Bus. Plus, autistic gay immigrant changemaker Andreas Suvali Otis talks about his new memoir, Misfit, his number one Canadian wellness app, Carrot Rewards, and more. So, my friends, this journey through Rainbow Country begins right now with the big gay bus. That, right now. Hi, I'm Mayor John Tory, and you're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Adam Zivo from loveisloveislove.org. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show. Welcome, well, welcome back to the show, first of all. Uh, you were on 
2018, when you had an exhibit at Toronto City Hall for Love is Love is Love in the atrium there. Yeah, that was great. It was amazing. It was one of the largest installations ever done in that space. Mm -hmm. And it was so wonderful to be able to transform City Hall into an explicitly inclusive space like that. So the the big gay bus, it's it's big, it's gay, and it's a TTC bus. So talk to me about this. What's this all about? Well, it's exactly what you said. It is a very big, very gay bus. <laughs> and what it is, is it's a TTC bus mm -hmm. that's been wrapped in Love is Love is Love content okay. on the exterior. Okay. And so... The exterior is this collage of LGBT couples. Mm. It's very loud, but at the same time, the content is sweet and sentimental and can appeal to a wide audience here. Mm. And the idea is that we want people who are on the street just to, you know, uh, see something beautiful like that. The interior of the bus, all the advertising placards have been replaced with educational content uh, on basic LGBT issues. And the audience for that is not the LGBT community, but rather for people outside the community uh, with a particular focus on people who might be moderately homophobic or not very aware of LGBT issues, just don't know. Um, so it answers things like, why is there no straight pride festival out there? Or what does it mean if someone says sex and gender are different things? Or for example, if someone who was transsexual or transgendered is dating someone of the sex they once were, you know, do they typically prefer to be called uh, straight or gay in that case? Or is a drag queen the same as a transgender person? These are things that for someone in the community we take for granted. You know, we just think that everyone knows, but that's not always the case. And it's that ignorance there that can cause prejudice and hatred. And we want to give a very gentle way to address that. Now, with that in mind, the bus is primarily going to be operating in inter-suburban communities. And the reason for that is that support for LGBT rights isn't evenly distributed geographically. The downtown core is a lovely bubble where you can feel safe. Mm -hmm. But in many respects, it's just that, a bubble. Mm -hmm. And I've been in suburban neighborhoods where I wouldn't feel comfortable holding my partner's hand. Um... And I want to address that. And I don't want, I'm not here to shame anyone or make them feel bad. I just understand that if you're a little bit, you know, ignorant of the situation, I'm here to help you and help begin that process to reevaluating your assumptions. So do you have an idea of where this is going to run, this bus? Because well, there's, there's just one? There's just one. And so primarily in Scarborough, and if we can make it work in Etobicoke as well. Okay. Yeah. So is this going to like be switching around, kind of like be switching routes, that sort of thing? If possible, yes, that would be the ideal, but we still have to negotiate that with the TTC. Okay. And when does this launch or start? Uh, Mid-June. We okay. are just still waiting for the final bits when it comes to the production end. Okay. Fantastic. And is this something that's sponsored? Yeah. The, the project was made possible by a very generous donation by a woman named Catherine Hope. Uh, Catherine Langley Hope, rather. And... Catherine has been a lifelong supporter of LGBT issues. She is trained as a nurse, and in the 1970s, she attended the births of several intersex infants. And that, at the time, that was a very rare experience. And in attending those births, she realized that access to health care was something that was lacking 
for this particular subpopulation and that deeply impacted her. Mm -hmm. And later in her career, she was asked to spearhead a program in Ontario, uh, the first of its kind for gender reassignment surgeries for people who were transgendered or transsexual. And these experiences combined to give her a, a deep appreciation of the importance of LGBT rights and of healthcare access. And when she found out about Love is Love is Love, she was so excited to get involved and to expand her portfolio of support beyond healthcare to supporting other aspects of the community. And if people want to know more about the, the big gay bus, they can check out loveislovelove.org. Yes. So we just have a couple minutes left. Talk to me about the Queering STEM scholarship. What's this about? The Queering STEM scholarship is a scholarship program that we started uh, that's piloted and launching this year, uh, this month, actually. Uh, it's a scholarship for students who are entering an undergraduate program in Ontario that is related to STEM. And STEM is science, engineering, technology, and math. And the idea here uh, is very much like the idea of engaging inner suburban communities um, in that we're trying to fill holes in representation, holes in support. And we realize that different professional sectors may not have the same level of support. If you're LGBT and you want to be a dancer or a writer or a social worker, there's no shortage of role models that you can find. There's no shortage of representation. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit different if you are LGBT and you want to be an engineer or you mm. want to work in mathematics or if you want to work in the hard sciences. And what we want to do is start that conversation and support upcoming leaders so they can grow into those role models for future students. So it's two scholarships of $2,000 right now, which we hope to scale up going onwards. Mm. Um, it's been really exciting. The whole idea of creating programming just for STEM is very new. Uh, LGBT STEM Day is the only real initiative that addresses it. And that was something that was launched only two or three years ago. So it's this frontier for addressing different kinds of inequities. Wow. And again, for more information on that, loveislovelove.org. Yes, that's where you can find everything. Everything, everything on Adam Zivo. Wow. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you. My name is Charles Officer, and I'm the writer and director of Invisible Essence, The Little Prince. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara on CIUT 89.5 FM. Make sure you keep your eyes out, open, and peeled for Toronto's big gay bus hitting hitting Toronto streets any day now. Coming up next, I chat with Andreas Suvali Otis about his new book, Misfit, Growing Up Autistic, Growing Up Gay, and so much more. That, when I return. This is City Councilor Kristen Wong-Tam, and you're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Mm. 
He is an entrepreneur, an app developer, a best-selling author, and he's with me here in studio. He is Andreas Suvaliotis. How are you? I am great, and I'm so impressed by how perfectly you pronounce my name. <laughs> I practice. I practice. <laughs> you must have. Thank. First of all, thank you so much for taking your time to be here with me. I appreciate that. My pleasure. Okay. Misfit, autistic, gay, immigrant, change maker, a memoir. This is your current bestseller. You are the author. You wrote this book. What is this book all about? This is about every one of us. It's, it's, a, it's my story. It's my memoir. But frankly, it's about each of our stories. We're all misfits in our own way. We all grow up feeling strange, different, scared of who we are, shy. We feel like we stick out too much. It's, it's like it's the human rule of growing up. We grow up terrified of how we might be noticed. And yet in reality, the things that terrify us, the things that make us feel weird may actually turn out to be our strengths. And that's exactly why I wrote the book. It took me until my 40s to realize that all of my weird edges were actually my niches. Mm. And so when I did realize that, and as I, as I noticed how people were very receptive to the story, and I used to give talks at universities and so on, my hubby sat me down and said, you know what, you really should actually write this into a book. It needs to become a story so that the next generation that comes in behind us doesn't waste as many of their years trying to hide or quash the things that made them special. Wow. So, a bit of a twist. <laughs> Autistic, mm -hmm. gay, mm -hmm. immigrant, yeah. change maker. Why did you choose to include those four specific words in the title of your memoir? Why those four specific words? So, first of all, just for the benefit of your listeners, the main title of the book is Misfit, mm -hmm. right? That's the word that's supposed to stick out. And I, I chose that word on purpose because it has a little bit of a negative connotation. You know, it sort of startles you a little bit and you mm -hmm. think, mm, why is he... Why is he so self-deprecating? And it's the truth, right? I grew up feeling like a misfit. I grew up feeling like the guy that would never fit in. And I was trying so hard to fit in. The three things that made me feel so weird are the three labels I have as a subtitle to the book, which is autistic, gay, immigrant. And before we get into what's behind each of them, the thing I wanted to say to you is that I've actually, as I was writing the book and as I was figuring out what I should call it, I became the biggest believer in labels. I realized that mm. labels are actually liberating. They're actually freeing. You know, when, you, when you stand in front of someone else and you say, hi, my name is Andreas and I'm gay. Well, you've just neutralized any gossip, any, any suspicion, any, anything else that could go on around it, right? You just totally put it out there mm. and neutralized it. So I thought, you know, the best way for the book to be impactful is not to just hint at how I am different, but to actually put it in your face. There's a fourth label on the cover, which is Changemaker. And I am a changemaker. Courtesy of my weird edges and courtesy of my weird mind, I've become a changemaker in the business world and in other places in society. And so I decided it would be interesting to have the three kind of scary labels first, autistic, gay, immigrant, the three things that I fought so hard to hide, and then put the fourth one, which is almost like the result of the first three, right? I was weird. I was even more weird. And because I was so weird, I could make a difference in the world. You mentioned just now in regards to labels being freeing. Mm -hmm. There seems to be a real, for lack of better words, movement or people sort of not wanting to be labeled. You know, I am 
especially when it comes to the LGBT community, using the word, for me, using the word queer, I'm not a big fan of that word. I personally don't use that word because it's so generic. What does that mean, right? So for yourself, do you run into that in regards to, you're saying labels are a good thing. Personally, I agree with that. But are you running into people saying, you know, I don't want to be labeled? Oh, all the time. I, I actually come from a culture and from a country that is so incredibly afraid of labels. I, I grew up in Greece. Um, in case you didn't know it, Greece is one of the most homogeneous societies in the world, as is most of Europe, right? Most of most European countries, everybody who lives in the Czech Republic is Czech. Everybody mm. who lives in Greece is Greek. Um, Greece in particular is extremely homogeneous. Everybody in Greece is Greek Orthodox, white speaks Greek, supposedly they're straight and all the rest of it, you know. And so anything that would stick out, that would deserve a label, um, would be immediately sort of shoved under the carpet by my family, by my friends. You know, nobody wanted to actually talk about anything different. And so that's the that's the big lesson I took away with me, which is that when you come to a society like ours where we are so comfortable with our differences here in Canada. We're all different from each other. Mm -hmm. Somebody's brown, somebody's white, somebody's gay, somebody's straight and different religions and so on. You, you look around and you realize that we've actually done a beautiful job in our society of neutralizing the harm of labels and instead of using labels as, as liberating aspects of our identity, right? So I find that it's actually better to deal with issues up front. When in my current company, I am the out autistic CEO. Mm. I've never been out before as an autistic man before in my career. And I find it incredibly liberating. It makes explains so many things for my colleagues, for my clients, for everybody around me when they know that they're actually dealing with somebody on the spectrum, as opposed to not knowing about it. Mm -hmm. So in regards to your book, Misfit, you have a lot of powerful people lending their voice in support. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, his his wife Sophie, mm -hmm. CNN contributor David Frum, ballet legend Karen Kane, just to name a few. I'm curious, how did you how did you have these people lend their support to Misfit? How did that come about? I don't think there is a standard answer to your question. I think each of them came about in a different way. Mm -hmm. um, the reason um, Justin Trudeau and Sophie, now Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and Sophie, wrote uh, the foreword to my book is because, frankly. In addition to being friends of mine, personal friends of mine, not political friends, um, in addition to that, they happen to also be huge believers in the same things I believe in. Mm. The notion of how we are better and stronger, not despite of our differences, but because of our mm. differences. Um, the notion that they very explicitly spell out in the foreword to the book, which is about the fact that um, too often in our quest to fit in, we end up quashing the very things that could make us special. And that's really what the book is about, right? It's, it's about figuring out what are the things that are different about us, that are weird about us, and maybe that scare us. And instead of quashing them and wasting those qualities, let's find ways to harness them instead. That's, that's all I say in the book without saying it in so many words. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, other friends who are either prominent in the literary world, like David Frum, or um, my friend Karen Kane, they simply added comments or blurbs at the back of the book, frankly, because they believe in my story. Mm -hmm. And they believe that my story is so important for so many younger people, right? Weird is important and weird is good. And I am definitely, I grew up as the weird kid. All of us are growing up as the weird kids. Mm -hmm. Let's figure it out. Let's just enjoy it as opposed to being scared of it. Am I correct in this, what I'm about to say? 
you reached out originally to Pierre Elliott Trudeau, like back in the day at some point, like you wrote a letter or something? Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a bit of a cute story. Um, I did reach out to him, but that was the day that he died. So I didn't get to speak with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the cute story behind that was that when I immigrated into this country as an 18-year-old, as a very, very impressionable, um, naive 18-year-old, um, somewhere deep inside of me, I think I had already the the makings of a marketer. I was fascinated with with brands and things that mm. made brands stick out. And quite frankly, the brand of Canada back then around the world was already exceptional. You know, this was the early 80s. And I can tell you, you know, the you knew everywhere in the world that there was this one very cool country out there called Canada. And the reason everybody knew about this cool country is because they had this extremely cool prime minister called Pierre Trudeau, Justin's father. I showed up here and I was so fascinated by that guy's persona. I would see him on the evening news every night and I would think, oh my God, I want to grow up and be like that guy. I wanted to be as irreverent, as cool, as sharp, as witty, as humorous, as everything you can possibly imagine as that guy. And um, and as I grew a little bit older and a little more connected in this country and developed a career, I thought, you know what, I got to meet this guy. I actually want to find a way to meet him. He, by this point, he was a long retired, very old man in Montreal. And I just wanted to get connected to him somehow so I could say to him, thank you. And I wanted to thank him for two things. One was the the leadership prototype that he created for me, the, the leadership model, essentially, because he made me want to grow up and be like him. And the second, as a gay man who felt very embraced and very welcomed in his place, I wanted to just simply say thank you for the beautiful society you created, because he was the architect of this new, liberal, cool Canada. So as I gathered all my connections and my networks and tried to figure out my way to his home in Montreal, he died. Mm. So I never met him. And the day he died, I wrote him a little letter. And the title of the letter, which which is at the back of the book as an appendix, is uh, Au Revoir, Dear Teacher and Friend I Never Met. And somehow through a friend of a friend of a friend, that letter found its way to Justin Trudeau, young Justin Trudeau back then, who, believe it or not, called me and said, my name is Justin Trudeau. I want to come to Toronto and meet you because I am. I was so touched by this letter that he wrote to my dad. And so that was the beginning of a very cool friendship. Wow. We were connected over that little letter, which was meant to be from me to me, really. I wrote it the day that he died, right? Mm. Anyway, that's the, that's the cute story. And it's all in the book in colorful detail. Incredible. In 2018, in the fall of 2018, the Monk Foundation had a debate with um, David Frum and Steve Bannon. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, did you see that? I didn't. Um, I think we were away at the time, mm-hmm. uh, but I spoke, I saw David the next day, I believe, and we talked about it. And what did what did he tell you afterwards? Well, I don't know. You you probably heard that that debate had a bit of a derailment in it, right? That technologically went, yeah. it went off and mm-hmm. it went backwards. And so they declared Steve Bannon the winner. The win- yeah. When in reality, it was David that was the winner. Yeah. And they apologized the next day. Um, so, you know, David was entertained by the whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was a, such an important debate, obviously. Yeah. And it's, it's up on YouTube, I believe. And so people can go online and, and check it out. I believe it's on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, Misfit, how long did it take for you to write this book? About six months. Um, six not very intense months, mm-hmm. which sounds odd. People think it takes years to write a book. And it's true, you know, it's not, uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I may never write another book just because I found the process so incredibly 
um, stressful for somebody like me who has no discipline, right? Mm -hmm. It takes discipline to write a book. Um, but it is also a bit of an undisciplined book for, uh, for, for those who may read it. I'll warn them that it doesn't have the standard kind of chronology of a memoir. Instead of each chapter being the next piece of the story after the previous chapter, each chapter instead is a different lens into a different side of me. Um, so it's very, it's chronologically disorganized until the end. At the end, it becomes a little more chronological, but it's it's much more honest in the sense that it shows you the gay boy in one chapter, the autistic boy in a different chapter, you know, the Greek boy in another chapter and so on and so on. So I, I mean, people, people find it very entertaining in that sense and very honest. It is truly raw. There's nothing I leave untold if you want i can mm. since this is a gay radio show i can tell a very funny story about my my first couple of years in uh, in brandon manitoba as a closeted gay university student am i allowed to of course <laughs> and, and this is a bit of a spoiler because uh you know it may it, you know it's, it's one of the cute stories that people discover in the book normally um, when i was in second year university i did what all of my straight buddies were doing in school and i acquired a girlfriend my ta was my my girlfriend for the whole school year but at the same time, I did what I really needed to do, which was that I got myself a boyfriend as well for the whole second year in university. So I sailed right through that year with a girlfriend and a boyfriend at the same time, thinking like a big naive city boy that I was, that living in anywhere, I would never be discovered like this. It would be okay to have the girlfriend and the boyfriend and the two shall never meet forgetting that suddenly I was in a little prairie town in Canada where every thread was connecting with every other thread. Well, somehow, miraculously, until the end of the academic year, I was never caught. I had my lovely girlfriend and my lovely boyfriend for the entire year. But then I went back to Greece for the summer and I thought at some point I thought I should send them postcards. And so, of course, stupidly went and bought them identical postcards and wrote them identical messages. I love you. I miss you. I'll see you in September. And off I mailed them. And when I came back to Brandon, Manitoba, I discovered that he had gone to his best friend's apartment because, as it turns out, she was his best friend and had seen the exact same <laughs> postcard that he had just received in the mail. So you can just imagine how much hell broke loose after that. Wow. Mm -hmm. So they actually knew each other. They were best friends. He was in the closet. So therefore, wow. she didn't know that he was gay. Mm -hmm. He would have never introduced me to her. Right. And that's why I wasn't caught for the whole year, but I was certainly caught over the postcards. <laughs> wow. And you had no idea. I had no clue. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Andreas, on that note, let's take a break. Sure. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Police Constable Danielle Botno, also known as LGBT Cop, and you're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Terra on CIUT 89.5 FM. Here it's entertainer and trans activist Sheikha Dediva. How you doing, girl? Fabulous, thank you. How you doing, Mark? I'm doing well. It you have you have a burning question. I know that you just burning to ask me. So go ahead. I need to know how do we get in touch with you? Well, thank you for asking. You're welcome. People can get in touch with me on social media at Mark Tara Music on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, even at Mark Tara Music. If you have an idea for the show, if you want to be on the show, you know someone who should be on the show, get in touch with me or send me an email, Mark 
at marktara.com. Fabulous. So, Andreas, in 2018, Luxembourg's Prime Minister, Xavier Bettel, became the first openly gay prime minister in the world to be re-elected for a second term. You wrote an open letter that was, I believe, published in the Huffington Post mm-hmm. to the Greek prime minister over a faggot tweet that a, a Greek member of parliament sent out. Correct. What was this all about? Talk to me about <laughs> this open letter and, and what happened. Sure. So so the background to all this is um, the society I grew up in in Greece until I left 35 years ago is known to be one of the most homophobic societies in Europe, right? Greece is is super macho, super straight, supposedly, and so on, with very little tolerance for faggots. Um, so this faggot boy, uh, four or five years ago, whenever that, uh, that uh, tweet happened, is uh, looking online at news and notices the whole controversy around the tweet, because frankly, it was a pretty scandalous tweet, right? This is a, a right-wing MP in Greece who decides that because the prime minister of Luxembourg is marrying a same-sex husband, mm-hmm. um, that that is so offensive to this conservative MP's values that he literally has to tweet and use that word. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, um, the prime minister of Greece has an interesting opportunity at that point. He can just ignore it, given the fact that this was not one of his MPs. This was an opposition MP that made that ridiculous comment. Mm-hmm. He could just ignore it and say, oh, you know, let the, let the redneck rot in, uh, in public outrage. Or he can actually create a bit of a wave. And frankly, the reason I thought it was important for the prime minister to make some noise about it and create a little bit of a, of a public attention wave towards this is because if he didn't do that, the thing that always happens in homophobic societies would happen again with that incident. People would say, hmm, that wasn't really good, was it? And then they would just go to bed and forget all about it and attitudes wouldn't change. But if the prime minister of the country turned Mm. around and, and sent an apology to the prime minister of Luxembourg and said, you know what, that tweet does not reflect the values of my people or of my country, mm-hmm. that would be controversial enough in Greece that it would actually get people rattled. It would create conversations. Mm. And what it takes for values to shift in a society, in any society, is conversations. Is you need people to be at the dinner table debating with their dad or their grandfather or whatever and saying, dad, that's not right. We Mm. shouldn't talk like this. We shouldn't think like this. And so I thought, I bet you nobody's going to call the prime minister on this. Nobody's going to say, why didn't you respond or why didn't you apologize? And I thought, why shouldn't it be me, right? I'm a, I'm a former Greek citizen. I'm a proud Greek in terms of my heritage, but I'm a prouder Canadian because I live in a society that is anchored on better values. Mm-hmm. Why not harness some of my society's values to put that guy on the spot a bit? And I had the advantage of knowing Ariana Huffington, who was at the time the publisher of the Huffington Post worldwide. And I don't know if you know this, but she's actually Greek. And she left Greece at the same time I left Greece. So mm-hmm. we, we, we share a couple of things, she and I. Mm-hmm. And so I, I uh, texted her and I said, have you seen this? This is so outrageous. I'm thinking of writing a letter. And she said, you should write it and I will publish it in every edition of the Huff Post all over the world, which she did. And so it created a few waves. And it was one of my one of my rare sort of gay boy militant moments, right? I, I haven't, I've been not necessarily in the closet, but I've been quiet about my gayness because I was a prominent Bay Street person and I did all the conventional stuff and I, I just didn't want to make too much noise about my sexual orientation. But 
in that particular moment, I thought, this is important. This is cool. It is so, it could make such a difference in the country I came from. Mm. You know how many friends I have in Greece who are gay and can never live with their partner. They can never come out at work. They could never be elected to office. They could never do any of the things that we take for granted in our society here. And yet it's Greece 2019. Mm. So looking back now, would you still have done the same thing? Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And frankly, it hasn't been that many years. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, Greece hasn't changed that much since I did that thing. So clearly my letter didn't make, make that much of a difference. Um, yeah, for sure. I would have done it again. So let's talk about you and technology. Let's talk about apps in particular. Um, Carrot Rewards, Canada's most popular wellness app. Green Rewards, the world's first mass eco loyalty platform acquired by the Ear Miles program. You created these two apps. How did you get into technology? How did you get into creating apps in the first place? So um, I may shock you with this. I'm actually not a technology guy. And you may have noticed that the one word that is common between my two ventures um, is the word rewards. There mm. was green rewards and there was carrot rewards. Mm. My specialty is in rewards. I understand incentives. I understand public incentives and I understand exactly how you harness the, the power of points and incentives mm. to change behavior on a mass scale. We happen to be a country that is incredibly addicted to points. I'm sure you know this. In fact, Canadians are known to be the most points addicted nation in the world. We just love our points. We just drive across town to go to Rona and get double points this weekend or whatever it may be. We switch airlines, credit cards, stores, banks, name it for the sake of points. And I had worked in that space for most of my career. So I knew all of the tricks in that industry that make incentives so incredibly effective on you and me. And so I thought one day, you know what, why not harness that incredible power of that industry for good? Why not use the immense addiction that you and I and all of our fellow citizens have to points for to, to encourage greener living, which is where Green Rewards came from. Green Rewards was invented around the time that Al Gore came out with The, uh, the Inconvenient mm -hmm. Truth, the movie, and climate change became a topic. And this social entrepreneur thought, hey, I've got an idea. I've got an industry I work in that I know exactly how to use. Why not use it to change the lives of millions of citizens? So that's what that was the original Green Rewards idea. The second program I've created is Carrot, which, as, I, as you just said, is the most popular wellness app in our country right now. And Carrot is popular because it gives you even better things than Green Rewards used to give you. Through an app, we give you the choice of whatever points you love. So we don't impose a reward currency on you. We just simply say, what do you, what points do you love? Do you like going to the movies and collecting scene points? Or do you like filling up your car and getting petrol points or RBC points or whatever? Mm -hmm. And then you choose the reward and we reward you for learning how to live healthier, for lear learning how to manage your money in a better way, for learning how to be more physically active every day and so on and so on. So it's a, it's a unique idea. Both of my businesses were unique in the sense that they had never been invented anywhere else in the world. So they were both true inventions in that mm -hmm. sense. The second one has become my dear baby right now because it is truly impacting the, life of, the lives of over a million Canadians. So I'm kind of uniquely proud of the impact I'm creating out there. Wow. Well done. Well, thank you. Well done. It's, uh, takes a bit of an autistic mind to come up with twisted things like this. And that's kind of the connection between Misfit and what I do for a living. Well, that's a perfect segue, Mr. Andreas, because I want to talk about you and autism. Mm -hmm. 
you're autistic, you're on the spectrum. How did, how, first of all, when were you diagnosed? You will laugh when I tell you this. I was not officially diagnosed until a year ago when I was mm. 54 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I've known for a very long time. I have a brother who is a little deeper in the spectrum than I am, and, and, and his condition was more obvious to the naked eye than mine. But frankly, both of us share a whole bunch of very special traits. Um, as you know, people on the spectrum have certain social deficiencies typically or social gaps and then at the same time they have all kinds of extraordinary skills in other areas in my case my extraordinary skills were in numbers and music which tend to be correlated uh, but my numbers uh, mind is so extreme that uh, i was actually on national tv when i was five years old because back then i could tell you what day of the week it would be today uh, I could do things like this, predict calendars for as many years forward and backward as you wanted me to. Um, same. How would, so let me just stop you there for a second. How would that come to you? Would you just know it? Would you see it? Yeah, I would see it. I had memorized uh, visually mm. as a five-year-old all of the red numbers in one calendar in one year. Um, and so the red numbers happen to be the Sundays. Okay. So once you've memorized all the Sundays of a year, then it's extremely easy to extrapolate forward and backwards if you have a focused mind. Mm. And that's what I could do. So if I knew that in, you know, this year that April the 20th would be Saturday, then I would automatically know that next year, unless it was a leap year, next year, April the 20th would actually be on a Friday. And so you can see how I could move back and forth that way and create all these crazy things. So, you know, that kind of strange math-hungry brain is what led me to eventually figure out um, climate change and how climate change would affect the behaviors of millions or billions of consumers around the world way ahead of my fellow marketers. And based on that, I could then harness, I could figure out how to harness the industry I was in, the points industry, to reward you for shopping more responsibly towards the, the the planet. The whole thing was just so unique. It takes a unique brain to invent unique things, I believe. So do you attribute your autism, your being on the spectrum, directly to your creating your apps? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Interesting. Yeah. And again, that's that's why I thought writing the book was important mm -hmm. because by hearing, by having you hear or read my story, you realize that the things I was most embarrassed about, I spent most of my career trying not to come across as the autistic guy, mm -hmm. trying not to be weird and unfiltered and awkward like I've always been. Mm -hmm. And so I spent a, a lifetime trying not to be who I was. Mm -hmm. But then one day I realized that by being who I was, I had all these unique advantages and I could come up with ideas that others couldn't. And you said it also plays out musically? Yes. How? Um, typically, math skills and, and, and music skills tend to be connected in people's minds. I uh, grew up with what's called perfect pitch. So ever since the age of four. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So music has been my life in, mm -hmm. a, in a pretty remarkable way. Mm -hmm. But if you combine my musical uh, mind or my musical talents with my autistic mind, you can come up with some pretty awkward stuff. So, for instance, I am, I'm that kind of kid that you would literally torture if you stuck me in a room where there's two different types of music playing at the same time. Like, let's say you're in a room where someone is singing and yet the radio is still playing. Okay. That can be almost unbearable. Really? Like that can, that can literally throw me off to the point where I can't even speak. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of awkward bits to my music talent as well. But yeah, I grew up uniquely talented and spent a whole lifetime studying classical music and so on.
So you studied what? Piano? Piano, yeah. Yeah, started at the tender age of four when I couldn't reach the pedals and couldn't read numbers. So my mother had to train me on basic numbers so okay. at least I could read the finger positions every day. Can you, do you sing? Can you uh, sing? Don't even ask me. No, no, no. <laughs> you certainly won't hear me right now. <laughs> but in, in regards to perfect pitch, you're, that would come in with hearing things, playing things, that sort of thing? Yeah, if I heard um, a car horn right now, I would mm. be able to tell you that it's, a, the note. it's an F sharp yeah, mm -hmm. or whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. Fascinating. Andreas, on that note, let's take a break. Okay. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Nikki Ward, and like me, you're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Bill 7. To ban discrimination in employment, government services, and housing, based on a person's sexual orientation, was up for a vote at Queen's Park. Most NDP and Liberal MPPs supported the bill, but without some progressive conservative legislators' backing, a divisive split could rack the province. Four PCs decided to break party ranks to vote with their conscience and support Bill 7. Cabinet Minister and MPP Dennis Timbrell did it to show solidarity for his beloved brother, the well-known drag queen, Rusty Ryan. And for me, a gay politician who was not yet out, I had to take a stand. We were known as the Gang of Four. I'm former Cabinet Minister and MPP Phil Gillies. The date, December 2nd, 1986, when LGBT rights came to Ontario. So Steve Degay, producer and host of Toronto Song Project, um, you have an interesting look on your face. Like you want to ask me a question. What would it be? Yeah, well, if I'm not around Tuesday at 11 to listen to the show, how do I hear it? The best way for people to, you know, listen to Rainbow Country after the fact is through the podcast, which is available on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and on Spotify. So people can subscribe. It's for free. And they'll never be without an episode of Rainbow Country. Steve Degay, it's just that simple. Amazing. So I just search Rainbow Country, and there I am. Yes. Amazing. So, Andreas, you are an openly gay man. Mm-hmm. When did you know that you were attracted to men? When did that start happening for you, that you were actually conscious of, there's something different with me? When did that start playing out for you? Earlier than most, I think. I, I must have been in grade two or three, so maybe mm -hmm. seven or eight years old. Um, I was really young, and, and the reason it was so starkly clear to me is because, as I openly share in the book, I had a very modern, very cool um, uh, dad, extremely loving dad, a very special man who was, even though he was so modern for his times and for his place, he was incredibly, incredibly homophobic by today's standards. Mm. So my dad, in all his love and warmth towards me, would still say to me when I was six or seven years old that he would rather have a dead child than a faggot child. 
Literally. He would say that to you. He would say that to me. Interesting. And so imagine when you are six or seven and you're starting to begin to begin to feel that something is different about mm. you. And suddenly you hear that. The fear of what you just heard yeah. makes it so much more obvious to you. It makes it clear to you that you are exactly what your dad is talking about. So in some respects, there was a bit of a silver lining in that horrible line because it helped me see at a much earlier age that I was who I was. You immigrated to Canada from Greece when you were what eighteen? Eighteen. That's right. I almost, I almost, I, can, I almost call myself a refugee. I almost escaped to Canada. Did you leave Greece because of your sexuality? Was That's that right. one of the main reasons? Yeah, yeah. It was probably eighty percent of the reason why I came mm -hmm. here. I was terrified of what would happen to me there next. You know, I was living in a society that literally would would, would stone you or beat you or whatever. Really? If you were. Absolutely. And I, like I said earlier, it hasn't gotten that much better in Greece mm -hmm. today. Um, and I knew that Canada was so much more inclusive, so much more progressive, so cool. I I was fortunate to have been exposed to Canada a bit as a kid because my dad worked for a Canadian airline, so we had the you know the advantage of flying here for free and okay. seeing this place a bit. Mm -hmm. So I was in love. I was truly in love with this society. And frankly, I've been here 37 years. Nothing mm -hmm. has changed. I'm still in love with this society because it's so unique and so embracing. So coming here wasn't foreign to you. It was still quite foreign. I mean, think about it. You know, you're 18 years old. You've spoken one language until then. You've lived in one kind of culture, one kind of food, one kind of weather, what kind of everything. And suddenly you show up in this place where everybody speaks differently, mm -hmm. behaves differently, eats differently. But I was so hungry for it. Mm -hmm. I wanted exactly what was on offer here. But you had you had visited here before. I had visited yeah. a few times, yes. Yeah. yeah. Earlier you mentioned your husband. Mm-hmm. So you're you're married? Well, we're common law actually. We've never been married, but okay. yeah, when you've been with somebody for thirty years, you 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 know, <laughs> it's a pretty natural choice of words. So growing up, did you ever think that you would be married in in this in this situation, common law married? Did you think that that would be something that you would end up doing? No, you know, I can tell you, I was so scared of the future mm -hmm. as a. As a 15, 16, 17 pimple-faced year-old that I couldn't imagine anything. I honestly was afraid to imagine the future because, because of how afraid I was of who I was. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I never had such a, such a notion in my mind. I never imagined that I would meet somebody who would understand me and accept me mm -hmm. so completely and in such, a, such an unconditional way. So, no, I feel, you know, when I reflect on the journey... I feel like the luckiest human being on earth. Mm. I feel like, you know, everybody deserves the kind of happiness I have. And that's, again, that's partly why the book is a little bit of a gift to the world in that sense. How did you guys meet? Oh, boy. We met. The story is very, very detailed in the book, by the way, if you want to have a good chuckle. But we met on a day that we were definitely not supposed to meet. It was Mother's Day 30 years ago. And... uh we were on two adjacent picnic tables in a park. I was hungover, unshowered, unshaven, I'm sure smelly, uh, incredibly grumpy, and passed out in the sun. I was taking a nap in the sun. And I was actually very frustrated to be there by car and not by bike because I'm a mad cyclist. And normally I would have been there by bike, but my bike was broken and I couldn't afford to get a new one. He, on the other hand, was there at the adjacent table enjoying the sunshine with his bike, even though he never bikes. So the guy that never bikes, biked to a park and sat at a picnic table and met the guy who always bikes, who was there without a bike. Interesting. On a day that 
I was certainly not in the market for absolutely anything. Mm. So it was very, very special. It was so it was as though somebody kind of moved us to that very little spot in the world and said, meet. Mm. And so it all began then. It was truly magical. And that was what, thirty years ago? Thirty years ago. May fourteenth, nineteen eighty nine. So I I guess like a little over ten years ago it became legal in Canada to get married, mm-hmm. same sex marriage. Have you thought of that at all? Or oh, it's irrelevant? Have we ever? In, in, in a legal sense, as I'm sure you know, it's irrelevant, right? We're fortunate to be living in a society where even common laws are so beautiful that the common law status is essentially the same as, as legally married. Very little that changes. So from a practical perspective, we didn't feel we needed. Um, from a social perspective, of course, we get asked the question all the time. And we both have uh, funny answers to it. His answer, which is purely a joke, when anybody asks him, he says, well, I'm not sure yet, um, you know, 30 years into it. My answer, on the other hand, is actually a fairly practical answer, which is because we've lived for so long, if we were to get married at this point, we would either have to elope or it would be 5,000 people at our wedding, neither of which is a desirable plan. Mm-hmm. And that's why we don't get married. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. That's what happens when you live a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Is he also Greek? No, he's Italian or okay. of, of Italian background. Mm-hmm. Born born in Toronto, but Italian. And you guys met in Toronto. We met in Toronto. So when you moved from Greece to Canada, did you move to Toronto? No, I moved to Brandon, Manitoba, which okay. is in many respects the absolute opposite of Toronto. Mm-hmm. I learned how to live in a very, very white, very small, very tight Canadian community, and then gradually worked my way back to the big city. So I came here for my postgrad in 86 and stuck here forever. Mm. In regards to your book, Misfit, Mm -hmm. and proceeds, and the proceeds are being donated to... The proceeds are being donated to a charity, to a charitable project that I helped create. Mm-hmm. Um, let me back up by saying that um, I'm being a misfit, even in terms of how I'm handling the book. You know, most people write a book and they take some of the proceeds from the publisher. Um, I became, according to my publisher, the first guy they've ever met, the first author they've ever met who didn't want a penny. Mm-hmm. And again, I didn't write this book to make me richer or more famous or anything mm-hmm. of that sort. I wrote the book for you. And for everyone else out here who feels different, because we all feel different. Mm -hmm. And so I decided to donate the proceeds to a super important global project that uh, a bunch of us helped create a few years ago. It's a project called Six Degrees. It's a global conversation around inclusion. And as I'm sure you recognize, we've entered a pretty, pretty odd period in the history of the world where exclusion in starting starting to become a bit of a topic right there's the there's the trump types Mm -hmm. out there who are somehow figuring out how to divide us and how to get us to hate each other Mm -hmm. and how to get us to be afraid of difference to be afraid of the other and this fear of the other is starting to really screw up our world there's so many examples of it right now you just see the racist government in Hungary or the, the the strange sentiment that we're finding among our fellow citizens even here in Canada and the crazy stuff that's going on in the US or in Britain and so on. Actually, even in my birth country now in Greece, you may not believe this, but the neo-Nazis are now polling 10%. So one in 10 Greeks vote for a neo-Nazi party. So all of this crazy stuff that's bubbling up all over the world is interconnected somehow. Some 
new generation of populist politicians have figured out how to divide us, how to peg us against each other, mm. and how to create this kind of negative fanaticism. And so I thought, a bunch of us thought, it's time to create an antidote to this. So we created Six Degrees, which is a Toronto-based um, global project of bringing people together to talk about inclusion, to promote inclusion, to actually use the great Canadian example of inclusion as a bit of a beacon for the rest of the world. And so I'm, uh, I'm on the board of the organization that has created Six Degrees. The organization is called the Institute for Canadian Citizenship. And I am very proudly directing every penny that comes out of my book back to Six Degrees. Wow, well done. Thank you. So Andreas, if people want to find out more about you, more about your, your apps, all that sort of stuff, how can they do that online? Sadly, there's this thing called Google. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> Just Google. All, all they have to do is Google me, Google Carrot, Google Misfit, the book. Um, but this is, again, like I said before, this is not about me. This is not about Carrot. It's about the book. It's about the story, right? Mm. It's about misfits. All of us are misfits. So the, the, the book is everywhere. It's available at every bookstore. And I would encourage every one of your listeners to uh, at least have a glimpse. Mm. Well said. Andreas, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being on the show. My genuine pleasure. Hi, I'm Garrett Conley, author of Boy Erased, a memoir. You're listening to Rainbow Country with Mark Tara on CIUT 89.5 FM. Spotlight on Andreas Suvali Otis. What a great guy. Honestly, what a great, great guy. Everything that he's doing. Well done. So for all things Savali Otis, Andreas Savali Otis, like he said, you can you can Google him, Google his book, Misfit, but you can also check out carrotapp.com. That's uh for Canada's number one fitness and wellness app, carrotapp.com. Get social, get interactive on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, at Mark Tara Music. The podcast for Rainbow Country is on iTunes, Podomatic.com, Google Play Music, Stitcher Radio, and on Spotify. So get Rainbow Country free wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And of course, everything is hooked up at my website, including the full two-hour episodes, marktara.com. Next week, performer and trans activist, Shika Dediva. Finally, I want to take this time to thank you for taking your time to be with me. Remember, We live in days of making dreams come true. So believe in yourself. And the world will believe in you. Hello, this is Tim Arnold, and you're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM. Mm.